This is Joel Johnson, Senior Minister at Parkview Christian Church. I want to thank you for listening to our sermons online. If you have any questions, feel free to contact me by email at joeljohnson at parkviewfinley.org. Uh, you guys are blessed indeed because you get to hear me. No, I'm kidding. It's, it's not going to be great. <laughs> no, uh, it's going to be fun. It's going to be a fun sermon. Today we're actually going to be talking about love. If you couldn't tell from the slide behind me that says, let love shine. We're going to be talking about uh, love and we're going to start this out with a, with a game. We're going to start this out with a fun game um, called this or that. And so when I think of love, I usually think of one or two things. I think of rom-coms or I think of love songs. All right, so what we're going to do here instead is, is focus on love songs. And I'm going to read a line, and you will tell me whether you think it is from a love song or if you think it's from a worship song. All right, so we'll start here. Uh, real, uh, let's see. For I am yours. Nope, I didn't turn it on. Hold on. There we go. There we go. Is it on there? Go ahead. For I am yours and you are mine. All right. If you think this is a love song, go ahead and raise your hand. And if you think it's a worship song, all right, now go ahead and raise your hand. All right, you guys, you got excellent work. Yes, this is a, this is a love song. This is Oceans. Song we sung? Probably here. All right, move on. How deep is your love? Is it like the ocean? All right. Do we think this is a love song? Anyone think it's a worship song? No hands on that one. All right. Yes, this is in, this is in fact a love song called How Deep Is Your Love? All right. We, we, we started off with some easy ones. It gets harder. Okay. Here we go. This is the one that's out of, out of focus, out of order from my notes. So the colors of the morning are inside your eyes. Love song? Worship song? <laughs> this is a worship song, for those of you who got it right. This is You're Beautiful by Chris Tomlin. Um, all right. Now I had to go back. You were my end and my beginning. Even when I lose, I'm winning. Love song? Worship song? I feel like there's kind of a 50-50 split between those who voted. All right, this is a love song. This is uh, the song All of Me by John Legend. All right. You're all I want. You're all I've ever needed. Love song? Worship song? Could be both. Well, this one is, in fact, worship song. This is Draw Me Close by Michael W. Smith. We had to reach back a couple decades for that one. Um, you were my strength when I was weak. You were my voice when I couldn't speak. Love song? Worship song? This one, this one got me when I was doing the test. This one tricked me uh, because I thought, all in all, you were my strength when I was weak. You are the treasure that I seek. Nope, not this song. This is Celine Dion. Because you loved me. <laughs> oh, if anyone fell asleep while watching TV in the 90s, you know this song because it woke you up from your peaceful sleep with the hits of the 90s, this love collection. And then Michael Bolton followed. Yes, all right. 
Sorry, y'all got tricked. All right, here we go. Everywhere I go, always on my mind, in my heart, in my soul. Love song? Worship song? Not a lot of votes on that one. We were a bit confused, but I think there were more for love song, and you are correct. This is Chicago. You are the inspiration. Oh, yeah. It's a good song. I love Chicago. Mm. Fun road trip music. All right, here we go. Last one. People think I'm crazy for the way I'm acting lately. That's true. I'm crazy about you. Love song? Worship song? Not a lot of worship songs, but it is, in fact, a worship song. She was so confident, and so was Daniel. Very confident. This is, this is a song called Sing by Chris Tomlin. I had never heard of it before. Apparently, it's a, a duet or a partnership with, with a country band. All right. So was there anyone who got a perfect score? Anyone who can differentiate perfectly between a love song and a, and a worship song? No one did last time either, so don't feel bad. And I already told you I failed. Celine Dion tricked me. She did it again. <laughs> All right. Um, now, I, I did say that these were love songs versus worship songs, but we all recognize, obviously, worship songs are love songs, so they were love songs of not the worship variety. Um, but we recognize that there is a difference between, between loving God and how God loves and how God wants us to love versus what the world kind of looks at and, and sees and defines as love. We should recognize that difference. We, just the same way we recognize that there is a difference between the way that I love my sisters and the way I love Taco Bell. Because obviously I love Taco Bell way more than my sisters. And if you have sisters, you understand uh, all right, don't tell them I said that. They know it's not true. All right. Um, but this morning we're going to be talking about, we're going to be looking at, at biblical love. And, and biblical love as opposed to romantic love or, or the way we love food or the way we love our friends. But, but this biblical, strong love. And we're going to look at how and why God commands us to show it. So if you're going to be following along in your Bibles or your Bible apps, it's real simple. We're just going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. You can open there. You can stay there. We're going to be there. All right. And uh, we are going to start in verses 1 through 3. Hope you can read that. When I made them, I thought it was bigger. All right. I, if I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have the faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I have, all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love. I gain nothing. Now, to put this into context, we have to understand that Paul is writing to the church in Corinth, hence the name Corinthians, all right? This is, this is the Corinthian church, and he is writing to them in the first century, um, and there are times when you read, if you've ever taken the time to read Corinthians, it, it kind of feels like being, I'm a younger sibling, so all my examples are from that idea. It feels like when you, like for me, when I was a younger sibling and my sister was sneaking in at night and she got caught and, and my, uh, we, we lived uh, like 
So my bedroom was like right above like the open area to the entrance. And so whenever my sister did get caught and then she was then being scolded or, or reprimanded, I could hear it because my sisters are loud and my dad was loud. And so I could hear this from my bed and like, you're like, kind of listening by the door, but you're also, you feel a little guilty for like hearing them get in trouble. That's kind of what reading Corinthians is because the Corinthian church has a lot of things wrong with it. Do not get me wrong. In spite of the fact they have a lot of things wrong with it, Paul genuinely loves them, which is why he writes this letter to reprimand them because he wants what is best for them. We will get to that later. But so he's writing this letter um, and he's writing this in, in the, the first century, what we call the, the apostolic age, the time when the apostles are there to lead and direct the church. But the apostles weren't alone in this. At the same time, the, the Holy Spirit had gifted people with what we call the miraculous spiritual gifts. They had people who could just, because of the laying on hands, they could speak in languages they did not know. How great would that have been when you were taking your foreign language credit that you had to take for high school? If you could have just been like, yeah, all right, I, I, can, I don't know what I'm saying, right? Because they have, they have people who can speak in tongues and those who can understand tongues. So apparently those who could speak in it maybe not, didn't even know what they were saying because they were led by the Spirit. But if you could pass all your tests, I'd be okay with it. But... We have these gifts, we have that, we have people who can prophesy, people who are led by the Spirit to, to, to speak words and correct behaviors. And then we have the apostles who, right, who have multiple of these gifts and they are leading the church. That is what these gifts were for, to bring people into the church, to bring people into, into the kingdom and also to correct and guide behavior, to get things set up, to lay a foundation that's what these gifts were for. Unfortunately, the Corinthians, um, they were kind of, they were, they were treating these gifts in, in, in an unworthy manner. They were basically using them to be like, hey, look at me. Look what I can do. Oh, yeah. And they, especially tongues. We see that, that they, were, they were like speaking in these different languages like a lot just for the purpose of other people saying, wow, Look how spiritual that person is. And I think, I think we can relate to that. I think we probably all know someone in our life who, who maybe you're like, man, look how spiritual that person is. And maybe if we're honest, there's probably been a time, this is for me, this is not, like where we have tried to make ourselves look more spiritual. So people will think better of us. But if we're doing this only for accolades and without love, Paul says it here, it's nothing, right? It is, it is a resounding gong. It is a clanging cymbal. And that's what they were doing. They were using these gifts without love, but rather to elevate themselves. Um, the problem is, as I said, the gifts were meant to glorify God. The gifts were meant to grow the kingdom but they were using them to glorify themselves and to grow their own stature among the other Christians rather than among those outside of the church. Paul spends three chapters in this letter talking on this subject. It starts way back in chapter 12. Well, that's not way back because this is 13, but it starts back in 12 and it continues on into chapter 14 as he tries to, to set their minds straight on what's going on. And he, and he says this kind of things that, that, catch, that would have caught them off guard, all right? 
the thing they were using to elevate themselves, tongues, he immediately dismisses in verse one. All right? Um, if you're doing this without love, it's, it's, it's no different than, than just if, if we still had Tim up there and I were trying to speak and he were just hitting symbols the entire time. It would, be no, <laughs> it would be no good, right? Because you wouldn't be able to hear me. They could turn me up, but I think Tim could probably hit those things real loud. Um, and then verse two, and this would like, again, these should catch us off guard. Think about the stuff that he's saying, like prophesying. If, if we just started to prophesy, man, we'd be like, that's impressive. What if I had a faith to move a mountain? Like that would be impressive. You'd be in awe of that. And yet, if I had enough faith to do that, but didn't have love, Paul says, it's nothing. And then he says, he, he takes it one step even further, I think, of this idea of even if I give all I own, everything I have to help the poor, if I'm doing it only for my own stature, if I'm doing it not in love, I've gained nothing. Now, he doesn't say that it is nothing. All right? He doesn't say that, that what, what the poor have gained there is nothing, but rather you have nothing. It's, it's not much different than, than Jesus when he was on the Sermon on the Mount. And he's talking about, hey, the, the, the Pharisees and the people who are going around and praying real loud in the street or they're fasting real loud so that everyone knows, so that everyone looks at them and everyone's like, hey, they're super cool. It's the same thing when he's like, no, it's, it's nothing to them. They've gotten all they have. People applauded them, but they've done nothing for me because they've done nothing in love. I have one example before we move on of this. I was watching this video. All right, I'll be honest. I won't be coy. It was a TikTok. I'm sorry. Um, I was watching this TikTok and this girl is trying to record this TikTok. She's telling this story of how she had like gone to her favorite like Mexican restaurant and they had the best, apparently the best guacamole. So good that she like ordered a whole extra order of it, not even with chips. So a whole extra order of guacamole so that she could leave with it in this doggy bag. And, and as she's, she's walking down the street, she gets stopped by, by um, a homeless man. And this person essentially, according to her story, guilts her into giving, uh, giving up her guacamole. And she's trying to tell this story. She's trying to record this TikTok and she's telling the story. And uh, um, as she's doing it, someone, someone stops her and is like, if you have to tell people what you did, then it's not a good deed, which I think is kind of what Paul's saying. If you're doing it so that people tell you good job, man, you're awesome. And you're not doing it because you love that person. If she had given this up in love, it would have been something. It would have been worth something. Now, she's very honest. She's very honest. And she's like, you're missing the point. I'm, I'm mad that I don't have my guacamole. <laughs> and she ends it with this objective yelling to a stranger on the street. I'm not a good person. She has this very honest opinion. She, I mean, like that kind of honesty, it's rare. Um, because a lot of us like to think we're good people. And, and she could have turned that story around and been like, this is what I did. But instead, she, she was just very truthful. No, I wish I still had guacamole. Um, now, how this relates to us, we, we have this church, and we have these gifts, and we have these things. We have a, a, a great worship band. We have a great congregation. If we were to grow this church to 1,000, to 2,000, if we were to grow this church to as big as Finley is, it's like 40K, I think, and, and we were to sweep and everyone were, but if we did it only so that people would look at us and point and say, wow, what are they doing? Wow, they're awesome. If that's our goal and our goal is not to show love to those who are coming in, then it is nothing. Nothing is attributed to us. It is nothing more than clanging symbols. Love 
needs to be what drives us. When I originally wrote this, the point said should. It said love should drive us. But that's not strong enough. Love, we need to recognize that it needs to drive us. There should be no other wind that we catch in our sail that moves us from one place to another other than showing and sharing the love that God has for his people and for the lost. Love needs to drive us. But that begs the natural question, what is love? Or at the very least, what does love look like? Well, Paul conveniently takes us through that. And we come to verses 4 through 7, the most famous of the Corinthians passages. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. This passage is used at so, so many weddings. And if you've gone to as many weddings as I have, you've heard this a lot. Has anyone gone to a wedding where they've heard this passage read? Has anyone gone to more than one wedding where they've heard this passage read? Did anyone honestly have this passage read at their own wedding? <laughs> you already knew what I was going to ask. I got married, or not, I didn't get married, sorry. Whoa, hey, sorry. Rewind. My friend, my friend got married. Now, you got to understand this about him. My friend is an atheist and a libertarian, okay? Which means he did not get married in a church, and he did not get married by a preacher. He got married in a courthouse by a judge. And while I'm there at his wedding, standing next to him, the judge says this, I want to read some words written by a wise person a long time ago. And what the judge starts reading is this very passage, just some person? No, no, the apostle, I'm, I, and this is me like out of Bible college, just kind of laughing. <laughs> I, I know who wrote this. And, and even though he's an atheist, even though like the world may reject so much, they still can read this and they'll still be like, yeah, that seems pretty wise. I, I can accept this. I can learn, even if they refuse to allow God to be the Lord of their heart and the Lord over them, they still can recognize this definition of love as being accurate. But even if they have it read, a lot of us don't actually kind of pay attention and follow this. Uh, the apologist Frank Turek likes to say that a lot in some of his things. That This is the passage everyone has in their wedding, but nobody really actually listens to, and definitely no one really obeys. Um, and so I want to I give us this definition here for love, which I think we can, we can definitely fit these verses to. My, my professor in Bible college always defined love as this, adamantly, several times in many of his books. Love is doing what is spiritually best for another. That's not the fill in the blank, but if you want to write it down, that's cool. And again, I think that's a pretty accurate way to measure these three verses, okay? These words of Paul are obviously intended to call out the behavior of the Corinthians. Because how does he say it? Hey, love doesn't boast. It's not proud. It's not self-seeking. 
do these sound like the qualities of, of a people who are using their gifts in the foyer of the first church of Corinth in order to make people think they're awesome? No, it doesn't, because what they were doing wasn't in love, and it wasn't loving. And so Paul writes this to correct them. But his example of love extends beyond that, and it does extend to, to us and our depiction and our understanding of love. Um, I want to read that again, so I'm going to go back in the slide. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Okay? We, I think, have a natural inclination to want to believe that love is easy. We hear love songs and we connect to them. We watch rom-coms and we, we tear up, even if we have to do it like we have to turn our eyes aside and pretend that I'm not, I'm, that's not me. I'll, I'll obviously admit when I'm watching, I'm a gross crier. But we watch these things and we connect to them because we, we want to believe in this love and we want to believe that it's easy. But love is not easy. No matter what the hashtags on, on, on a social media post tell us, Love is not easy no matter how much we wish it was. All of these qualities in this verse behind me are hard. They are difficult. It's patient. It's kind. It keeps no record of wrongs. Come on. We all like to keep records of wrongs, right? Last, last week, Sean said this mean thing that hurt my heart, and I cried for hours. Five months ago, Audra said this mean thing to me. And I cried. She didn't really. Every week, August, August, whatever, Audra interrupted my sermon. <laughs> no, we like to keep tallies of those things. We love it because we want, we want this economy of fairness, right? We want, hey, we want it to all end up balanced at the end. You owe me this because you said this, or maybe I owe you this because I did this. We want to tally, and yet, and yet Paul's like, no, 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 no. That's not loving. Love is not easy. Because of our sinful nature, because of, of, of something that is in us, we are constantly at opposition with this idea of, of love. All of these things, all of these skills require an intense level of learned empathy in order to do them well. Here's the long of a short of it. Like I said, due to our sinful nature, biblical love is not natural to us. We want it to be natural. We want to chase after love because God is loving and God is loving. I think that's something that is, that is still there as, as us being created in God's image. We have this bit. We have this desire to be loving. And yet, because of our sinful nature that is inside us, it is at war with that. And we don't know how to do it. And we have to learn how to do it. Now, here's your good news. This is a sermon, a callback to a sermon series we did a while ago. Love is a fruit of the Spirit, so it is something that the Spirit helps us learn to do and be better at and grow in. So I don't want you walking out of here being like, oh, I'll never be able to love. Why try? No, you, you can obviously learn this, and, and you can work on it, and that's why Paul says it. Um, and that's, that's your hope, but again, that was a different sermon series, so. 
But Paul is not done trying to correct the Corinthians here. He continues on in chapter 13, trying to further show them the flaw in their mindset about these gifts. Love never fails. But where there are prophecies, they will cease. And where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For now, we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But when completeness comes, what is in part will disappear. Again, we we connect real simply with that, real quickly with that love never fails. We like that line. But we, we seldom really read what it's actually involved in, what he's actually talking about here. Because remember, Paul is talking to the Corinth church in the first century. And they have these gifts, these miraculous gifts that they've been using to spread the word and to spread the gospel and to invite people in. Um, but Paul is telling them right now that those gifts are going to fade away. That's the in part that Paul is talking about. You're not going to have these things for very long, guys, so quit putting pride in them. All right? At the end of the apostolic age, these things will start to fade. And can you imagine, can you imagine just for a second how defeating that would be if that's where you put your identity in and for that to be taken away from you? Let me put it into perspective that I think we can all, like, for the most part, gather. We see stories. We watch movies. I, I always say the best thing about sports is sports movies. Don't get me wrong. I like sports, but sports movies, they tug at you. They get you. Um, and we've seen movies. We've heard stories of this person, uh, of this athlete who has trained their entire life to do this thing, to be whatever sport, baseball, football, whatever sport it is. And then they, they make it and they have this promising future ahead of them. And then maybe in the last season of their college year, they have a career-ending injury, some, some tear, some ACL thing, and they'll never be the same again. All their hopes and their dreams that they had been looking forward to, that they had set, that they had built their identity around, is now stripped away from them. What do you do in that moment? What do you, how do you go on? Because you've got to go on. And, and some of them will have those, those, those stories that, that inspire us, that we, we, they'll make movies about where it's like, this is how they overcame that story. We like those stories. But how many of the stories for each one of those are not told? Where the person didn't overcome the hardship and, and gave in to, to the sorrow or the, the loss of that identity. Paul is giving them a heads up that, hey, if you're setting your identity in this, if you're so sure and your stature is only built on, I can speak in tongues, I can speak a prophecy, what are you going to do when that's gone? And again, let's attach this to ourselves. What are the things in our lives that we have built our identity around? The things that we're good at. And that's okay. I don't mean to harsh on you if like you're good in your career, you're good at sports, but what happens if that gets ripped away. What do you have left? Well, Paul is telling them, you know what you'll have left? If you've worked on this, if you've figured this out, you'll have love still. And since love is greater than all these, that's a pretty good thing to build your identity on. That's a pretty good thing to set your foundation on. All right? Because again, Paul wants them to stop focusing on on these minor things that are going to fade away, right? If I knew it was going to pass, if I knew I only had so many years with this thing, why would I build my identity on it? But love, 
Love never fades. Love is lasting. Biblical love is lasting. Don't be so foolish as to, to continue to focus on, on the things that will fade. And Paul continues. This, these last two sections are actually really much together. Um, Paul ties it in, and he finishes off the chapter in uh, verses 11 through 13. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. For now, we see only a reflection as in a mirror, but then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, but then shall I know fully, even as I am fully known. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. Verses 11 and 12 really continue to drive home this idea that the Corinthians are focusing on the wrong things. They're showing the wrong things. Just a second ago, Paul explained that the gifts will fade. But now he goes even further to call them childish things. And that, that, seems, that seems harsh to us, right? Because as someone who has been known to be immature at times, when you get called childish, uh, it's not nice and it's not fun. Well, not, not when you get called childish, but when someone's like, ah, you're a child. Okay. I'm messing around, but now I have to be serious, and this is your fault. <laughs> no, we don't like to be called childish. We don't like things to be childish. But he's saying this thing that you're focused on is childish, but not in a bad way. He's not saying that the gifts are, are childish or that they were bad, but rather that they're incomplete. A child learning how to walk can't walk on his own, right? So they need help. They need to hold a hand. They need, uh, they need to lift themselves on a couch. You put them in those little bouncer things so they can like kind of stroll around and, and build up the strength in their legs. But once they have that, once they're walking around, you, I mean, you may put them in the bouncer just to keep control of them. But at a certain point, you stop putting them in a the bouncer. I haven't seen an 18-year-old kid yet walking around in, in one of those bouncers. That would look silly because they don't need that help anymore. Or another example would be, the Easy Bake Oven, right? You would give a kid the Easy Bake Oven, oh, they're pink and uh, you put some weird mush and a light bulb cooks it, and then you can pretend that, it's, <laughs> that this is a brownie, and then you have to pretend even harder that this brownie is delicious. But nonetheless, this is a child's plaything. all right? It gets you used to the idea of, okay, we have it on, we have a cooking element, and it's got to do this for a certain amount of time, and, you know, ding, we got this thing. But how many of you are going to cook your Thanksgiving dinner in, a, in an easy-bake oven? I'm really glad I didn't see any hands because that would probably be gross and it would take forever. But the same thing is what he's talking about here. We set aside the childish things. Once I realize I can do more with this microwave, I can do more with this oven, I can do more with faith, hope, and love, we move beyond the gifts were only there to guide people during that first century, to bring people in and invite them in, but they're going to pass, all right? At a certain point, these letters that Paul and, and John and Peter are writing will be compiled, and the people will have the word of God, all these different lessons in a way that we can read them. And, and we take that for granted, for us, like, 
Think about the fact that the Bible is still the, the number one best-selling book in the world, and it's been translated in so many languages. We have easy access to the Word of God. But they didn't have that back then. They needed these gifts. But that time has faded. And instead, what they were called, what Paul is charging them to pick up, is instead of focusing on these gifts, focus on these three things, faith, hope, and love. Those are going to be your tools. You're going to put away the plastic little tykes tools, and instead you're going to pick up, I don't want to offend anyone if I say craftsman or DeWalt or whatever, but you're going to pick up real tools. And that's what Paul's saying here. Pick up these real tools. Okay, pick up faith, hope, and love. Faith, living faithfully and obediently to the commands and instructions of God. Show that to the world. Hope, being confident in the promises that God has made to you. Show that to the world. And love, doing what is spiritually best for those around you. Show that to the world. Where the before the disciples had prophecy and tongues to spread the gospel, we have faith, hope, and love. Where previously they showed miraculous gifts of the Spirit to share and spread the gospel, now we need to show faith, hope, and love for exactly that purpose, to share and spread the gospel. And church, we need to do a better job at it. I'm sorry. There are a lot of people who reject this idea of love. And some of them reject it because their, their definition of love doesn't match what we get here. Okay? And that's a little bit on them. But there are those who reject the, the church's love because at times through history, the church hasn't been the most loving. We have to look honestly at ourselves. We have to balance that, that, that faith of, of challenging people to live according to God's word with Loving them. That is what that is, to, to do what is spiritually best for them. And if we can't do that, if we can't figure this out, then we will continue to the world to be nothing more than resounding gongs and clanging cymbals. I'm going to pray, and then the band's going to come up. And, and if you're struggling in your life because you haven't felt that love, please find someone to talk to. I'll be standing over here. Um, if you've been convicted and just need to spend time in prayer of who you need to show love better to, take that time. But for now, we're going to pray. Jesus, Lord, help us to love like you loved us. That is, that is what you have for us. Uh, help us to learn that, that tough and difficult balance of of showing compassion and understanding while also trying to teach and instruct in your ways. And it is difficult. Guide us. Lord, have your spirit shape and change our hearts, soften them and form them in the, in the ways that will help us better to show the world that your kingdom is worth joining and that your kingdom loves them because you love them. Lord, it's in uh, your name that we pray. Amen.